Um, so, as I said, I'm Zach Fairchild, and I'm very happy to be able to give you the message today. It's been a while since I've been in Grace Kids. It's also been a while since I've done a sermon, so sorry in advance for being a little rusty. Do you ever have trouble understanding uh, someone else's instructions sometimes? I mean, maybe their process for doing something is probably different from how you do it. I know I have some issues with this sometimes. Um, say I'm doing a task or a job with someone, and that's a bit better. And they're doing it a little differently from how I would do it. Maybe sometimes I'll think to myself or even say, why are you doing it like that? Doesn't make sense to me. Because I've got an idea of how something should be done. And if someone's doing it differently, then why would you do it differently? This morning, I want to go over a story with you. It's from the latter half of Mark chapter 5. And it's got some ups and downs and twists and turns throughout it. It's all packed into just 23 verses. There's kind of two sections to it, and as we go through it, I want to try and see the events through a couple people's different lenses. So let's start just by reading the passage. It's Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed, uh, again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, <clears throat> some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. 
but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So if you'll indulge me, I want to draw a parallel from this story to real life. This story's been speaking to me recently and impressing upon me how differently God seems to work sometimes from how we think things should happen. To start, I think it would be a fair assumption that if you asked Jairus how he would have drawn up childhood for his daughter, dying would never have crossed his mind. He would simply have wanted her to be happy and healthy while growing in mind, spirit, and body. I mean, I can say that that's what I want for my kids. Sure, I understand that some painful experiences in growing up genuinely teach you valuable lessons. And like Calvin's dad is fond of saying, they build character. Side note, um, my older daughter is really into Calvin and Hobbes these days, so I've been getting to read a lot of comics to her. It's pretty fun. But if my girls could gain the same experience and knowledge without the pain that accompanies some things, then I'd take that in a heartbeat for them. So when Jairus' daughter gets sick, sick to the point that he knows she's going to die, I wonder what's going through his head. <clears throat> Jairus was one of the leaders of the synagogue. He would have been kind of like a modern-day pastor as a community leader whom everyone knew. He was also probably quite well off and never needed much from others. However, when his daughter became sick and as her state worsened, his life would have ground to a halt. He probably has done everything in his power to care for her and to try to heal her. He's probably called in help and favors from many, many people. He's probably feeling so utterly defeated that despite all of this, she just keeps getting sicker. I ask you guys, can you feel for him? Ever since I became a father four and a half years ago, I've been more susceptible to getting hit right in the feels, if you know what I mean. Books, movies, TV shows, other people's experiences, all of that have just kind of gotten to me a bit more, especially when there's kids involved. I'm not even joking when I tell you that the latest James Bond movie gave me a lump in the throat. And as I was writing this, I was getting knots in my chest the more I thought about Jairus' situation. I can picture him learning that Jesus has entered his town, running to this man that he's heard can perform miracles, and then gasping out with hollow, drained breaths, my daughter is dying. He clearly humbles himself by falling at Jesus' feet and implores Jesus straight from his heart to help his daughter. When Jesus agrees and goes with him, Jairus must have been so hopeful. But then his quest to literally save someone's life is interrupted. So this passage 
almost plays out like two completely separate events with one in the middle of the other. Because we shift gears here to a woman who has been suffering in a terrible state for a dozen years. The Bible states that she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And it's not clear exactly what this means, but really, any form of bleeding that's consistently lasted for any amount of time is pretty bad. It's awful. She would have been labeled as ceremonially and socially unclean and was most likely ostracized by anyone she ever knew. The actual bleeding alone would have been bad enough to deal with, but being treated as an outcast and not being allowed to partake in worship or other important pieces of society, that would have just been terrible. It's not like she hasn't tried to fix her condition either. In fact, it just made things worse. The Bible says that she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. Her money's gone, she's no better, and as we said, she's even worse. And she's been dealing with this for 12 years. What her suffering lacks in intensity compared to Jairus is made up for in longevity. So similarly, I ask you, can you feel for her? And this is the thing about the Bible. These people were real. It isn't abstract. It's completely relatable. You can read the Bible and study it and know that definitively, yes, it applies to you. If you've ever had anything bad happen in your life, here are two stories in a mere 23 verses of absolutely brutal situations for people. And yet, as we'll see, you get to see God's love and omnipotence come out on top. Like the old song goes, God may not come when you call him, but he'll be there right on time. His sovereignty and love are guaranteed. Like Jairus, this woman comes to Jesus at the end of her rope. She's exhausted all her options. She takes a slightly different approach than Jairus does to get Jesus' help, though. She reaches out in the crowd and just touches his cloak. Is it because she has so much more faith and she knows that simply touching Jesus' cloak is enough? Enough to heal her? Is it because she wants to stay secretive since going out in public and touching someone would have been extremely frowned upon, to say the least? Maybe a bit of both. It's hard to say. We aren't explicitly told. But we are told that she is immediately healed. She instantly knows that she is cured. It must have been pure elation for this woman. Well, again, at least just for a moment. I love Jesus' response to this. It, it almost seems comical in a way, but I think it's actually giving the woman a chance to speak truth truth to Jesus, and to give him glory. Jesus, being God, is omniscient and obviously knows exactly who touched him, but he responds to this event by asking, who touched my clothes? Oftentimes, I read the Bible and think 
at least in retrospect, that the disciples are kind of dumb, but I'd say in this scenario, you know, their response is pretty normal. They are walking with Jesus through large crowds in tight spaces. I mean, what do you expect is going to happen? There's no way that everyone is keeping completely to their own personal space. People are bumping into each other in the hustle and bustle and the hype and energy that surrounds Jesus. Many, many people would have bumped into him and touched his clothes by now. <laughs> so is he just being silly by asking who touched him this one time? No, this touch of his clothes was different than others. It had faith involved. And Jesus even recognized that power had gone out of him when it happened. So he's not being silly. He's giving this woman a chance to give glory to God. And to her credit, she complies. See, she follows Jairus' lead, even if she hadn't seen it. And she falls at Jesus' feet. She tells him the truth of what happened. She publicly humbles herself by explaining her condition, saying the little story of how she was seeking and even kind of stealing, in a sense, the help that she got and even doing so while trying not to be noticed or caught. I bet she's expecting a pretty harsh reprimand because she's well aware of what just happened and what she did. But instead, she gets the greatest gift she's ever received, love. Jesus confirms that she is healed by her faith. He says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can you feel for her now? Imagine the pure joy and ecstasy that she must feel for the first time in 12 long, excruciating years. She's without worry. She's at peace. She's free. She is loved. I'm going to guess that this is the greatest she's ever felt in her whole life. So let's cut back to our other event that we paused. As we leave the woman at her peak happiness, we are about to rejoin Jairus in his deepest pit. Although we don't know the amount of time that the whole interaction with the woman took place, I bet if you were to ask Jairus, he would tell you that it felt a lot longer than it actually was. Remember, he's on a time-sensitive mission here. He needs Jesus to accompany him to his house so he can save his daughter's life. The last thing he needs is to be slowed down, but that's just what happens. He's probably been itching to get going ever since Jesus paused and asked who touched him. And then Jairus receives the worst news that you can get. Some people from his house arrive and tell him that his daughter has died. I don't think I have to explain it any more than just saying that outliving your child is the worst thing that could happen to you as a parent. Did the interaction with the woman cost them so much time that they would have made it to Jairus' daughter before she died if they didn't stop? Again, we don't know. But you can bet that the thought probably crossed Jairus' mind. To his credit, though, Nothing about any anger is recorded. 
In fact, after a quick word from Jesus, there's no indication that Jairus even changes his demeanor. It appears that he has taken this quick word to heart. To borrow a more modern phrase, Jairus keeps calm and carries on. So what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just believe. And this is the command that I want you all to remember today. If nothing else, lock in Jesus saying, don't be afraid, just believe. Have you ever told someone to do something that's easier said than done? Sure, maybe what you're telling them is in their best interest, but that person is going to have a hard time doing it, maybe even just at the time. This happens a lot with me and my kids. Something like where I'll say, I know it's fun, but don't wrestle on the couch. You're going to get hurt. Or don't laugh at your sister when she's making bad choices. Or get your hand out of your diaper. I think the classic example of this is when somebody is really worked up and you tell them, relax, just calm down, doesn't usually have the right effect. I mean, would it be a good idea to comply with these requests? Yes, objectively it would. But oftentimes in situations like these, There's emotion involved, and people aren't thinking logically. It can make it difficult to follow advice that flies right in the face of what you're currently doing, or what you may currently want to do. But it can be a little easier if you trust the person giving the command. And there's no one more trustworthy than Jesus. So when Jesus tells Jairus to relax, just have faith. Jairus obeys. Despite the incredible amount of emotion involved, Jairus continues to put his trust in Jesus. And let's not gloss over the fact that he even does this despite being told to do the exact opposite from the people around him. Make no mistake, tuning out the world and listening to God is hard especially since the world will play to our fallen nature. So don't be afraid. Just believe. That's all Jesus says. And then they're back on their way to Jairus' house. When they arrive, they're greeted by the sights and sounds of professional mourners. So back in Jesus' day, it was customary to hire people to add to the atmosphere of grief and pain at a funeral. And no doubt, with Jairus' daughter so close to death, were preparations already made or being put in place. So these artificial griefers, they were at the ready. Here, Jesus once again says something that sounds kind of preposterous, at least if you don't understand who's saying it. He asks why everyone is making so much noise and fuss since the child is not dead, she's only sleeping. Of course, we do know that she was physically dead, and so did Jesus. But unlike us mortal humans, death is not the end for God. To Jesus, it isn't any more difficult for him to raise this girl from the dead than it is to heal her when she's sick. 
He is God. He's got the power over everything and everyone without limit. Is he purposefully being silly here? I think it's more likely that he's giving people a chance to exercise faith again. The hired mourners, they just laugh at him. There's no faith there. But again, Jairus reigned with Jesus. Jesus then takes Jairus, Jairus' wife, and the disciples who are with him into the child's room where she was lying. He then simply takes her hand and commands her to get up. No fancy ceremony, no elaborate showy prayer. That's all it takes. Nothing's hard for Jesus. The girl is immediately healed. She gets up and walks around, proving to everyone that she's all okay. Now it's Jairus' turn to feel truly elated. Can you feel for him now? I wonder what those who laughed at Jesus just a few minutes earlier would think after seeing the young girl alive and well. Would they believe what they see, or would they double down on their earlier position, maybe try to rationalize their previous behavior? If you ever find yourself in this type of position, don't be too proud to change your mind and admit when you're wrong. God can speak to you at any time. So both Jairus and the woman found themselves in places in their lives that they never planned on. But they both trusted in Jesus and came out on the other side so much better because of it. Without even knowing it at times, they followed his command of don't be afraid, just believe. Am I saying that if things aren't going your way, all you have to do is trust God and he'll grant all your requests? No, I'm not. God's not a magic genie that we get to put in a lamp and take out only when we need something. He is our friend. He's our savior. He's our king and father. And he wants to be a part of the entirety of your life. In fact, he loves you so much that he made a way for us to be with him despite our sinful nature. We humans are fallen and imperfect and can never do enough to make ourselves pure. So God stepped in. He sent his son, this very same Jesus who performed these two miracles that we've just been covering today. He sent him to die on the cross for our sins. And after dying, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, fully alive and well. He had completely conquered death. And if we just humble ourselves and accept God's gift of salvation, our debt is paid and we get to be with him forever. Jesus didn't show favoritism towards the man of influence over the outcast woman, and God loves us all equally. He invites us all to join him. Jesus chose to heal the woman and Jairus' daughter, and those two events, they lined up with their desires as well. But that doesn't mean that God and his will will always match our plan. Actually, let's put it a slightly different way here. God's will or God's plan, that's the true north. And if your plan doesn't align with his, then you might find yourself a little disappointed. But it's not God's fault. It's ours. 
So the stronger your relationship with God, the easier it will be for you to make plans that align with his. But again, we need to remember that we won't always understand God's plan, even when we know what it is. He may let things happen that we simply can't comprehend why. And these may be the hardest times to be unafraid and just believe. Jairus wouldn't have understood why Jesus seemingly just let his daughter die, but he still had faith. He still kept going with God. We might even have times where, after trusting God, we don't see a quote-unquote good resolution. And that doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. It's just that we can't see things like God does. We can't see the really big picture like he can, stretched out across eternity. In the end, God will get the glory that he so rightfully deserves, and it will be to our benefit if we participate in it by giving him some glory. One way that we can is by doing as he commands. So to close, remember at the beginning how I mentioned that this story has been speaking to me? Well, one specific thing that I've been hearing God say through it is that we don't need to worry about his church. Grace has been through some tricky times in the recent past, and they certainly weren't part of how people drew it up, how they planned. The plan was not to hire and then move on from three different pastors over the past decade. It wasn't to have friends that we love leave the church either. It wasn't to have a global pandemic that forced services to be online only and just further divided people. Nobody planned for that stuff to happen, but it's true, it has been difficult. But at the end of the day, this church doesn't belong to anyone or any group of people. It isn't my church, it isn't our church. It's God's church. And he will use it according to his purpose. God is sovereign. And although we might not understand his plan, that doesn't mean we can't participate in it. Let's help bring glory to God by doing as he commands. Love God, love your neighbors, and serve. And even though it's tough sometimes, remember, don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together that you've given us. We love you and we trust you, but admittedly, sometimes it is quite difficult to do so. We like to be in control of our lives, but when things don't go as planned, it can be disheartening and worrisome. Lord, help us to always look to you for our strength. Help us to not be afraid, but to simply believe in you. Help to keep our faith in you overflowing so that we can live our lives in such a way as to give you glory. Help us to keep calm and carry on side by side with you. Thank you for your church, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>